13 and following of uh, 1 John 5 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So the focus is different. The focus is a test. It's a test for us individually to know whether or not we truly believe. And so we're going to dig into that um, in next semester. Um, so what are those tests? Um, how, do, how should we look at our own faith, not the faith of others around us, but ourselves? Um, and what are some tests that John's going to give us uh, to show us whether we have true faith or not? And so that's next semester. Um, we'll get, um, we're, as Zach and I were just talking about, ordering some more of these little books, um, the Crossway books, uh, so that you can take notes. We'll try to have those before uh, we start up again um, next semester. But we just completed Philippians. So open your Bibles back to Philippians. We'll do a quick flyover um, of the entire book. Uh, the book is known as the Epistle of Joy. Uh, it's written by Paul, um, the apostle, uh, who was unusually called. Uh, remember, he was not one of the 12 that Jesus selected, but called later on the road to Damascus um, when he was going to persecute Christians. He is a biblical scholar. Uh, so he was one of the Pharisees. He had memorized the first five books of the Bible. He had dedicated his life uh, to the knowledge of the scriptures um, before his conversion. At his conversion, um, God calls him uh, to be the apostle to uh, the Gentiles. And so his goal in life, his purpose, uh, was to go out and preach. Um, and if you've read the book of Acts ever, uh, you see that he goes out on three, at least three missionary journeys um, where he goes to the Gentile nations and literally thousands of people are converted. Uh, toward the end of that period, um, what we see is he, become, he is imprisoned. And so late in Acts, uh, he becomes imprisoned. He actually spends two years in prison uh, in, um, in the two years in Antioch and then two years in Rome. Um, so four years in prison, uh, we know for the last two years at least, he is literally 24 hours a day chained uh, to another individual, a guard. Um, and so his ministry has been what we would see from the outside is interrupted. Uh, he's not able to move around freely uh, and preach uh, the word of God. And so at close to the end of that four-year period, um, the, the church at Philippi, which he uh, helped found, um, sends him a letter, sends him a messenger to find out how he's doing. And uh, they're very concerned because he's literally fallen off the face of the earth for four years. And, and how is he actually doing? And the response that they receive is this letter of uh, the, Philippian, uh, the Philippian letter. And so what he says is shocking to them, uh, no doubt. Um, because he says, he starts off in chapter 1, verse 3, by saying, I thank God and all my remembrance of you. His focus is not on himself. His focus is on um, others. Um, then he says in verse 12, I want you to know, my brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So while they're thinking, wow, what happened? You had this un unbelievable minister of the word. He's saying, listen, God used this. Uh, for conversion purposes. And we talked about that a little bit. He has a huge effect on uh, the, the Roman people, uh, the Roman guard, even Caesar's household. Um, and so we see that as part of God's plan in that imprisonment. Um, in 18, uh, the latter part of verse 18, 
Um, he's, <clears throat> oh, sorry, I jumped. Uh, verse, um, yeah, 18, where am I at here? I lost myself. Um, so he says he wants to, in, yeah, latter part of 18. So in my Bible, it looks like the beginning of 19. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ will turn out for my deliverance. He knows that God is at work and that he's watching over him. And then he, he flips to his um, uh, focus to them in verse 27 of chapter 1. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so he encourages them in their walk, and in the beginning of chapter 2, um, he talks a little bit about their behavior. Um, and so in verses 3 and 4, he says, Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So that chapter starts off by talking about unity and a desire for us to be unified uh, and have a behavior that is consistent um, with that. Verse 12 and 13 are real interesting verses to me. Um, it is the balance of sovereignty and responsibility, right? So man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. How, as Calvinists, uh, for the most part, do we balance those two things? Um, and we see that tension in these verses, because in 12 and 13, he's talking about our salvation, our, uh, our uh, walk, our sanctification, our, our Christian uh, behavior. And he says in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Which is an interesting challenge, because we know that the Christian faith is the only faith that doesn't depend on our work. Salvation is not based on what we do, but on what Christ has already done. And so what is he trying to get at there? He's trying to say, listen, um, you have responsibility to respond. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, and you have a responsibility to respond. And he emphasizes that by saying right away after that, for it is God who works in you. So God, at the point of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. And so you're working out your salvation through the power of the Holy Spirit that's dwelling in you. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so we have this responsibility to be obedient to the, the Spirit which leads us uh, post uh, salvation. Um, so behavior he talked about already in 14, he talks about attitude. So he changes a little bit in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. <clears throat> and in chapter 3, verse 4, talks about not putting um, our salvation or our faith in our works. And so in verse 4, he talks a little bit about himself in chapter 3. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he talks about his lineage, how he um, was circumcised at the right time. He was of the right tribe. He, um, he was a, a very zealous individual. He was very knowledgeable. And so if there was anyone who believed that they could be saved through their own works, it should have been Paul. And yet he says in verse 8 um, that that's not the case. In verse 8, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. We cannot earn our salvation. We need to work out our salvation with the submission to the Holy Spirit, but we can't earn our salvation, certainly not if Paul couldn't. 
And then in chapter 4, he wraps things up. And he talks a little bit about personal conflict. And then he goes back to attitude. In verse, chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will re say rejoice. And then he focuses on the good. Finally, my brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If anything is excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Right? So your focus, your attention um, there. And then uh, we wrapped up last week uh, with this idea in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Right? And so the book is this book of no matter what your circumstances are, no matter how difficult life gets, no matter how um, what happens or doesn't go your way, um, you can still have joy every single day because that joy is not based on your circumstances, um, but based on uh, your status or where you are in Christ. So I've got a place I want to go with that. But before I go with that, somewhere, are there any questions on Philippians? Anything from the, chat, the book that struck you or the questions that you had as we worked through it? David? What was your biggest takeaway from the series? Um, my biggest takeaway is when I teach, I learn more than what I teach. Um, and so um, I was super convicted about attitude. Um, and about trusting God, uh, even in circumstances where I don't have a lot of control. Um, I've had a lot of turmoil in my life over the course of the last year, uh, professionally. And um, it's been really, really uh, helpful to me to be studying this uh, through the summer and then this fall. So, um, so that was my biggest takeaway, is just to con continuously rely on the sovereignty of God. Um, even though we can't really understand what's going on around us. So. accepting our circumstances like for example if you see there's an injustice in the world and you want to you know use your position to do something about it and it affects you you know when do you need to say you know what these are the circumstances I just accept it and I'm just going to have a positive attitude in it mm -hmm. and when do you need to step outside of it and try to kind of be an agent of change so the first differentiation I would say is uh, what I'm about to say has to do with us individually, us as people, right? So uh, frequently in politics, we apply Christian principles on the government, and we shouldn't do that. Um, so the government has a specific role and responsibility. Um, when Jesus Christ tells us that we need to be doing something, he is not placing that on a government. He's placing that on, uh, on someone personally. And so um, we can't just say, listen, um, Jesus said to turn the other cheek, and so the government should turn the other cheek every time. Um, right? So that, that's, that's, a, that's an application to the wrong entity. That's not what that, that uh, command was meant uh, for. So this is for us personally. Um, and so then I would say from personally uh, standpoint, in situations like that, um, what you're saying is you've identified an opportunity. There's something in front of you that looks like it might be something where you can, I'll use the word loosely, minister, right? So there's something you can make a difference in. And so God presents you with a, an opportunity. 
Um, so then you've got to ask yourself the question, do I have ability? So I, do I have the right, the ability, the status um, the res to, to do something about it? Um, so um, in certain, certain circumstances, you don't have the ability. You're, you're not given that role, and, um, or um, you don't have the ability. You, you simply can't do it. You're physically unable, right? And so you've got to first ask yourself the, the, the question, do I have the ability? Um, do I, does it fulfill my responsibility would be um, the next question. So, um, <clears throat> so I once heard a guy who left his wife so be, and uh, had an affair with this lady because they were going to go do ministry. Um, and they were going to be missionaries in some foreign country. Um, that is totally craziness. God would never call you to, um, to uh, leave your responsibility as a husband. And so um, does, would doing that thing fulfill a responsibility, right? So, or would it violate a responsibility um, uh, better yet? And so ability, responsibility, um, so opportunity, responsibility. Um, <clears throat> now I lost my fourth one. Um, so I'll, I'll come back to it. But the, you get the sense, right? You get the idea uh, that if there is an opportunity in front of you, you've got to ask yourself certain questions like, is this consistent with what God would call me to be uh, and do? I would add to that motive why you're doing it. You know, are you doing this to advance the gospel? Are you doing this to end your suffering? Are you doing this to be right? And the, the other thing is calling. The fourth one that I would say is calling. Do you feel called? Um, do, are you passionate about this? Is this something that you cannot turn away from? Um, so that's a spirit-led thing. That's the one I forgot. Um, that's, the, that's the most flexible one. and has to be educated by the scriptures um, because our spirit can be misled at times. Um, but um, do you feel passionate about, I need to, God wants me to work in this area would be the one. So we, so we work through the book of Philippians. Um, one of the, my theme verses for this class, so 2 Peter, go to 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 and following kind of outlines the progression of faith. And so um, how do we grow as believers? <clears throat> And in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 5, it says, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. So you've come to acknowledge the fact that you are a sinner and that you deserve um, to go to hell um, based on your sin. The consequence of sin is death, and you uh, have sinned, and you, you understand that God's standard is complete holiness. And you understand then, because you haven't fulfilled that standard, you deserve to go to hell, Right? And then you come to understand that Jesus died even though he did keep the standard. So he shouldn't have died. And so now you've got this ability to accept his work in your place. And you've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord based on that work. So you have faith. Okay, So that's where it begins. A, a simple acknowledgement of your own sinfulness and your need for a perfect Savior who died in your place. That's faith. But then where does it go from there? He says, with, from with your faith virtue. So immediately the Holy Spirit dwells in you, 
and your conscience starts to say, I need to act better. I need to try to be who God calls me to be. I need to fulfill what he wants for me. And so that is this idea of virtue. And so you want to start doing the right things, right? But then on to virtue, you need to understand what God wants. And so you add knowledge. So we start to study the scriptures and go, okay, God really does believe that this is wrong and this is right. And I want to turn away from this and turn toward this. And so that is the ability of understanding what God wants. Now, in order to do that, I have to change habits. And so now I had to have self-control. And so um, self-control is the ability to apply knowledge. And then on self-control is perseverance or steadfastness, the ability to stand in the face of difficulty. Um, so there was a young gentleman I went out to eat with a, month or a year ago or so, and I said, how are you doing? And he said, I'm just trying to stay out of jail and not take drugs. I mean, literally, that's, he was being blatantly honest with me. That is what his goal was each and every day. He had, been, he had fallen into very bad habits, and he had, now he had to resist that. Right, and it was a simple goal for him. Um, most of us look at that and go, "Really?" That you know, but that is where he was at. So you have to have steadfastness. I said, "Well, what's the biggest challenge there?" Well, when I I get bored and I go hang out with my friends and they're all doing that. Well, that's a you, you got to be steadfast. I said, "Well, don't go hang out with those people." Well, what else am I supposed to do? I said, "Well, somebody needs their lawn mowed. Go mow their lawn for crying out loud. Um, do something, anything, but that." Right? But the idea is steadfastness, the ability to resist in the face of doing something that you know you shouldn't do. Right? And so then on to steadfastness, godliness. You start to look different. You start to, start to look to other people like they're not acting like the normal person. They live differently. They're, they have joy in the face of difficult times. They have uh, peace and contentment that I don't see in most people. Right? So they start to look in a way that looks more like the character of God. And then, brotherly affection, you start to stop worrying about yourself and you start to worry about those around you. You know, we, we live in a self-consumed culture. And so we, we worry about ourselves, we complain about ourselves. Um, all we do when we pray is pray about ourselves. And that switches. All of a sudden you start to worry about those people around you. You become one of brotherly affection. And then you become self-sacrificial. You actually become a loving individual who's sacrificing yourself. So this is the progression of the faith. God is pushing us in that direction. So my question to you is, okay, we've studied the book of Philippians. How do we apply that, right? So now you have knowledge, and now do we, how do we apply that from a self-control? What does this look like in the world that we live in? And I'm going to frame that question differently if you don't answer the question. So this is kind of back at you, David. How do you apply what we've read today and what was the most influential thing to you? And you don't have to answer it. I'm just saying it as a class. I, I do have to answer it. Okay, that'd be great. Um, the, my biggest takeaway was, was knowledge in the sense just having a better understanding of what Paul was going through when he was writing about joy. Like, literally being chained 24-7 to a prison guard and the, the effects of that and yet how he maintained his, his mindset of joy through that. It, it puts the, the whole book in a much better perspective than, yeah. oh yeah, be joyful always, pray continually. Well, okay, yeah, well, what about this? Yeah. yeah. 
Now, you don't understand, I'm in a difficult situation. <laughs> As he's laying next to somebody chained to him, who's not being kind to him, probably, right? So let me frame it this way. So what defines us? So to kind of clear your mind of everything and go, okay, today, tomorrow, what do we allow to define who we are? So... What are the things that we shouldn't allow ourselves to define us? And we do. Come on, what defines you? You're about you're taking tests right now. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and if it doesn't go well, how does that make you feel? Not good. Not not great, right? Do you let that define you? Some of you play sports and the, the year doesn't go great, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Do you let that define you, right? Is that the purpose of those things? Or um, what about relationships? Um, they can be challenging at times, right? And do we let that define us? What are the purposes of all those things? And I would tell you that the greatest problem that we have is we allow the things that God intended to refine us, to define us, right? And so God is actually using relationships. So, um, so in 1 Corinthians, hmm, I have to look at it quick. I think it's 12. Paul is praying and asking for um, God to remove the thorn in his flesh. Right? He has a physical malady. Right? I don't know what it was. No one, he's not specific. There are people who guess all sorts of things about what that is. Um, people think maybe he had lost part of his eyesight. Maybe he had continual pain. Maybe it was migraines. Um, there are a lot of things that people kind of wonder whether what that was. Whatever it was, he had a physical malady, right? And yet he says that God is using that to force him to rely on God. He's using it to refine him, right? So physical maladies God can use. Personal relationships. Um, you know, flip over to, first, uh, to Colossians 3. Verse 12 and 13, put, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Right? Our relationships, can we can allow them to define us. They, they should refine us. God wants us to learn, he wouldn't command us to bear with one another if we weren't going to annoy each other from time to time. He wouldn't command us to forgive each other if we weren't going to be wronged for time and time. Right? God is using those relationships not to define you, but to refine you. Okay? So, relationships. Um, trials. Uh, James uh, 1, 2 through 4. Um, if you want to look at it quick. Just general difficulties. 
Um, is God using those general difficulties? Um, in verse 2, chapter 1 of James, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Right? So these challenges that God gives us, whatever those trials might be, God is giving us so that we might be able to be refined. Right? And yet, um, they define us. I, if I ever coached high school or college sports of any kind, uh, the focus would definitely be on how does this refine you? I'm going to put you in a stressful situation where you're likely not going to succeed to the level the world wants you to succeed, and I want to see how you're going to react. That's the purpose of sports. Because later in life, you're going to be in those situations, and you'll have either trained yourself to react wrongly, or you'll change, train yourself to react rightly. And so that's why we play sports. That's, it's fun, right? and it's challenging, and it pushes us, right? But at the end of the day, it's a great tool to put people in stressful situations where it doesn't go the way they want it to go, and then test to see how they react. Right? God will use that to refine you. I, I played high school sports, college sports. Um, the best two years of growth spiritually for me was the year I injured my knee and couldn't play the whole year, and the year that I should have been starting, and I sat on the bench and watched. Two best years of spiritual growth in my life, right? Because I was an arrogant SOB, and God needed to hit me hard, right, um, with that. Um, and so those were the two best years of growth. Now, they weren't the two best years. My wife and I were dating at that time. She'll tell you it wasn't a great two years, um, but it was the best years of spiritual growth um, for me individually. Right? God uses these trials uh, in our lives to refine us. So what does define us? What does God say that we should look at as who we are? Where we can find comfort at all times. So I start just at a base knowledge, all, all humans. Um, so I do a lot of cloning. There was a Christian school. I went to a Christian school. To, they were having a debate on whether cloning was right or wrong. Um, half the class was, you had to be on the wrong. You had, cloning was absolutely shouldn't be allowed. The other class, yeah, you, you know, cloning is okay. My first question is, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about humans or are we talking about animals? Because it's different people. And they're like, well, why would that make any difference? So one young man sitting in the front row says, you know, why would that make any difference? And I said, all right, so I can take a pig down to the slaughterhouse, have it slaughtered, take the meat home and eat it. Um, how come that's okay, but if I murdered you, um, that's not okay? And he said, because you wouldn't eat me. And I said, if I promise to eat you, can I kill you? This is an eighth grader, so it might have been a little intimidating. <laughs> right? And so where I was going with that was that it's a, he's a special creation, right? Um, he was a little uncomfortable. So then we went to the scriptures. Um, and so <laughs> this literally did happen. Um, and so Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God 
um, creates us in his own image, right? No other uh, mammal on the face of the earth has been created in the image of God, right? He breathes life into us. If you look at the creation account, we are a special creation. So all humans are different than animals, right? So we can find our identity in the fact that we are a special creation, just at a very base level, right? But even more exciting than that, if you have come to know Christ, you know that you are chosen for adoption, right? So that God has chosen you. Ephesians 1, um, so open your Bibles to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 and, and verse 3 <clears throat> and following. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of of his glorious grace, which which we, he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of grace. You have been adopted as sons and daughters, right? So your identity, what defines you, is first you're a special creation, and second, you are adopted as sons. Third, you're forgiven, right? And so even though we fail and that we, we mess up all the time, um, we, are, we are forgiven. Matt, uh, Romans 8. Romans 8, 28 and following says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he also called, he also justified. And those he justified, he glorified. Justification is a word for forgiven, right? You're justified. You, you no longer are responsible for your sins. You no longer have to stand before God and account for your sins because he is going to ask you about your sins and Jesus is going to say, pay for it, right? And so when we think about what defines us, um, we think about those things, and I'll give you one more. We're called to a purpose. Right? God has given you a set of gifts and abilities, and he wants you to use them for his glory. Every single one of us. Right? So Ephesians 2.10 um, talks about how we were saved by grace and that we were saved to do good works. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7 um, talks about the giftedness of the body. You are a member of a body, and you have been given a set of gifts, and it works perfectly with the other members of the body. 
And so I, I say all of that because we have a tendency um, in difficult times to allow those difficult times to define us. And what God's really trying to do is use those difficult times to refine us. And as we look at the book of Philippians, we see an example of somebody in Paul who is going through great difficulties, who didn't allow those difficulties to define him. He allowed those difficulties to refine him, right? And, and I think that's something that we need to do every day because I have a tendency when things aren't going well to feel really sorry for myself rather than to go, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me in this moment? And I think maybe I'm not the only one who does. So part of uh, Philippians also talked about like sharing in the saints' troubles, and we kind of talked about last week how that's just being with people who are really hurting. How can we have a good balance of that versus like, you know, somebody is a really in a really hurtful situation and they're like in the midst of it and you just come up and you're like, well, hey, sure, if you can do all things through Christ, strengthens you, you know? How can we grieve and feel people's pain but also point them in the right direction without coming across as like almost indifferent to their suffering? Yeah. Um, challenging, obviously, right? And, uh, uh, the scriptures say, you know, there's a time to mourn, and there is a time to praise, and they, you know, and so um, we need to be uh, understanding people's situation, um, not trying to fix it, so, um, but compassionate uh, to their situation, and again, constantly understanding how difficult it is, and yet trying to turn them towards Christ as their strength, um, and not. Um, because you're not going to fix it. And in this fallen world, it's not going to go well. And it's not going to go the way you want it to go. Um, it's just not. And uh, when Jeff said months ago, you know, we as a church are here to help you to live well, to suffer well, and to die well, that really struck me, right? Because it's like, that's not a real good marketing um, slogan, <laughs> right? Um, but it's the truth, you know? Um, that is life uh, on this planet. And we need to help each other to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, uh, I thank you for this semester, for uh, these students who um, have come to, to dig into your word so that they might um, be refined and so that um, they might be able to go out and, and look different uh, to others as people with hope um, who, uh, even though their circumstances may not be what they want them to be. Um, they may have a solid foundation under them because they place their hope in you and not in their, their selves. And so we thank you uh, for that opportunity. We, we praise you for uh, that truth. And, and we ask that as we go into your uh, worship service that we might give you the honor that you deserve. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good luck on the rest of your finals. Enjoy your break. Minister to your family, so you're going to re-enter some of you, your home, after six months of being away. That re-entry may not be smooth. Um, practice these things so that that entry goes better. Have a great day.